Hello, I'm Dr. Don Reynolds, professor and poultry veterinarian at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. Welcome to the Big Red Biosecurity Program for Poultry. This is Biosecurity Training Module 6, Raising Healthy Poultry. In this module, we'll review the consequences of poultry diseases, how to determine if your birds are diseased, who to contact if you have a disease problem, and ways to prevent diseases. We'll also briefly review the diseases caused by avian influenza and exotic Newcastle disease and the actions you should take if you suspect your birds have these diseases. Our goal is to raise healthy poultry, but we want to look at the entire picture from the breeder bird to the egg to the hatchery to placing the bird in our production facilities all the way through processing and having a safe, nutritious product for the consumer. Losses from disease are estimated at 20% by the economic experts, 20% of the value of poultry. In 2014, the total value of the U.S. poultry industry was right around $50 billion, $48.3 billion. 20% of that number is $9.6 billion. Again, these are figures that are estimates. It's very hard to obtain accurate figures. However, I think you would agree that losses caused from disease is a significant part of poultry production. The economic impact of the avian influenza outbreak in 2014 in the state of Iowa, primarily through its egg production, losses in egg production, were estimated by Decision Innovation Solutions, kind of an economic think tank, to have a total economic loss, Iowa, of $1.2 billion. You can see here, Iowa is one of the top producing states in the United States. This was just for Iowa. Those losses also occurred in Minnesota and spread into Nebraska. There are certainly reasons to be concerned. 20% of the value of, of uh, the poultry industry, significant figure, uh, lots of diseases, but do not panic. There are common diseases that are always there, always be a challenge, and these are controlled by good management, prevention, and treatment options. These are typically low mortality diseases that <clears throat> cause decrease in profitability. The vast majority of diseases you will encounter fall into this category. And examples include coccidiosis, clostridiosis, in chickens, um, infectious bursal disease, infectious bronchitis, Newcastle disease, also encountered um, primarily by all types of poultry, but there are different strains, as we will see later in this module. There are linogenic and mesogenic strains that cause mild to moderate disease. There are also highly pathogenic strains that cause what are called velogenic strains that are not common and are reportable. We are constantly vigilant for two diseases. Both these diseases can, be, can cause high mortality. We be, depopulate when we find them. Both these diseases occur worldwide and can be spread by waterfowl. These diseases are avian influenza and exotic Newcastle disease, also abbreviated END. These are rare occurrence, but when they occur, things happen. These are considered reportable foreign animal diseases. And when this happens, emergency measures are used for controlling these diseases. State and federal authorities get involved, typically, Premises are quarantined, there is extensive testing, there is depopulation, there's disposal, cleanup, disinfection, and downtime. 
certainly we do not want to go there. And that's why good biosecurity is needed. How do I know if my chickens are sick? Well, it's a combination of clinical signs and production parameters. Clinical signs, mortality. Mortality is a key indicator. Mortality means death or the death toll as a percentage of the flock. There will be a normal or expected or routine mortality. This will be determined by you and if you're growing for a company or company representative. Most typically in a broiler operation, this might be four or 5%. And it's, it's recognized and accepted that not all birds survive. And this is uh, for a variety reasons. One is chick or bird quality at the hatchery. There may be management issues, um, other things as well. Daily mortality records are to be kept. And you can see by trends in these mortality records if there are problems. A very sudden onset of mortality, let's say for instance you're going along and you lose one or two birds this day and the next day maybe is no birds, maybe the next day you have two or three birds, then you have 20 birds. And then the day after that you have 300 birds. And the day after that you have 500 birds. There's a sudden onset of this big mortality. This is called a spiking mortality and that's indicative of certain types of disease. There could be slow onsets of mortality. So the first week you have a couple per day. The second week you may be up to eight or 10. By the third week you're 20 to 30. And then you progress to, into the hundreds. These slow onsets give us indications of what diseases to look for. The clinical signs of disease. Well, we really uh, typically look at the different type of organ systems. And one of the major organ systems is the intestinal tract or enteric diseases. And a classical sign is watery droppings or diarrhea, oftentimes with color. Sometimes it's yellow, sometimes it's red, as can be seen here in this picture. This is uh, typically caused by bloody, uh, blood being uh, excreted in the feces, so bloody diarrhea. Oftentimes there'll be a distinct odor of different types of diarrhea. I've had producers, especially in turkeys, tell me that birds will make a characteristic sound, young birds, a kind of a chirping sound when they have a intestinal disease or intestinal upset. There are typical necropsy lesions, blood or lesions in the intestinal tract as can be seen here. These are abnormal intestinal tracts. You can see the blood and the discoloration, the reddening. Oftentimes there'll be litter in the gizzards. Gallbladders will be distended as an indication of the birds not eating. If we look at clinical signs and respiratory disease, we see labored mouth breathing, open mouth breathing, oftentimes accompanied by different sounds such as snicks or coughing or sneezing or rails, swollen sinuses as we see down here. Sometimes there'll be mucus and or blood and this might be evident on other birds or on equipment or on the sides of the facility. At necropsy, we may see lesions, blood, etc., in the trachea or in the air sacs, oftentimes seeing cloudy air sacs or exudates indicating microbial growth. There may be lesions in the lungs, other places as well. Other general signs, clinical signs, are depression and listlessness, lethargy, dirty, poor feathering. Obviously this bird is in very, very poor health. It's not clean, poor feathered, it's listless, um, Obviously, it's probably not long for the world. It's in very poor condition. 
posture can give us an idea. This is a, a bright, clean, alert-looking bird, but look at the legs. It's splay-legged. It can't move. It's immobile. This is a typical um, clinical sign of a disease we call Merrick's disease, a neurologic disease. Sometimes we see head twisting, also called torticollis or stargazing, as seen down here in this bird. Again, a neurologic sign, um, oftentimes associated with Newcastle disease. There may be leg problems or feet problems. Many other clinical signs and necropsies on closer observation. What about our production parameters? One of the first things that happens is that birds will typically, quote, go off feed. They'll stop eating. And obviously this has um, consequences. The birds will become uneven. They'll be look after a certain period of time, you'll have big birds and small birds. The weight gains will decrease. You'll have feed to gain ratios that will be impacted. Water consumption may be, <clears throat> may be altered. In egg producing birds, egg produce, production may be negatively impacted. Decrease in number, maybe odd size of shapes, maybe odd shapes and sizes of eggs, may have decreased fertility or hatchability. What do you do if you think your birds are sick? Well, contact your veterinarian or person in charge of poultry health care. If you're a contract grower for a poultry company, it might be your service person. They will advise and direct you. They may have you contact a veterinarian or they may have a veterinarian visit your farm or perhaps some other health official. They may have you submit samples to the University of Nebraska Lincoln's Nebraska Veterinary Diagnostic Center or some other lab they may come out and take samples. If you're an independent grower, you want to contact your veterinarian. And again, the veterinarian or yourself may submit samples to the Nebraska Veterinary Diagnostic Center or some other diagnostic laboratory. If you're a small flock owner or operator, contact your veterinarian. If you can't find a veterinarian or don't have a veterinarian, you can contact your university extension service, a poultry veterinarian, at UNL, it's myself, Dr. Reynolds, and we'll help you find a veterinarian, or you can contact the state veterinarian's office. How can I protect my birds from becoming diseased? Well, you develop a health program for your operation. So a health program for your flock might involve medications and treatments, and vaccinations, or management practices. Certainly, you should consult with a veterinarian or a poultry health official and by all means, have and use a good biosecurity program for your operation. I wanna talk about avid influenza and exotic Newcastle disease. Now there's a lot to be known, and I want to just broach a few basic facts you need to know. What causes avian influenza? Avian influenza is caused by a virus, an influenza virus known as influenza type A. Typically, they are classified in two ways. <clears throat> According to the virus structure, and here we can see a diagram, a cartoon of a virus. This is the nucleic acid of the virus. These are what's called on the surface, surface proteins. These surface proteins, there are several types, but the ones that we're interested in, one is called a hemagglutinin, or the H protein represented here in these blue rectangles. The other is called a neuraminidase, or an N protein, represented here by these purple spikes. These types of, um, these two proteins 
uh, we are able to subtype viruses. So we have H, of which there are 16 different subtypes, and we have N, which there are nine different subtypes. So the combination of the H plus the N equals the subtype of the virus. So you'll oftentimes hear of, we have, <clears throat> we have isolated or we have detected an avian influenza virus, and it is H some number, N some number. Now, the H5s and the H7s are the most common in poultry, and they are most commonly pathogenic in poultry. So for an example, we may have an H5 or an N2. So we characterize or classify avian influenza based on their H and N subtypes. We also classify them by their pathogenicity or the ability to cause severe disease. We have low pathogenic avian influenza virus or low path AI, LPAI, and we have high pathogenicity avian influenza virus or high path AI. Now this is very, very important to know. Low pathogenic avian influenza viruses, LPAI, can spontaneously mutate and become high pathogenic avian influenza viruses, HPAI. So we might have a subtype of H5N2, a low path avian influenza virus, and it's not causing a lot of disease in the flock. It's low pathogenic not a lot of mortality, not a lot of clinical signs, but it has the potential to spontaneously mutate and become a high pathogenic avian influenza. So low pathogenic avian influenzas are as great a concern as high pathogenic avian influenzas. So what does this mean? We are concerned about healthy birds, birds that appear healthy, that harbor low pathogenic avian influenza, or LPAI. Typically, domestic poultry that test positive for low path AI are quarantined and depopulated. It's also important to know that waterfowl and shorebirds can naturally be infected with low pathogenic avian influenza viruses and transmit it to domestic poultry. So these waterfowl may appear normal and healthy, but still harbor the disease. So it's very important in our biosecurity programs that we recognize risk factors that, <clears throat> that locate, so to speak, waterfowl in waterfowl areas around our operations. How the virus spreads. Contact with waterfowl and or their feces is a primary method. So waterfowl, I'm sorry, water, feed, et cetera, can become infected with avian avian influenza infected droppings. Spread through the movement of poultry, poultry products and items that come into contact with infected birds and products. So contaminated equipment, insects, rodents and wild animals, perhaps they, uh, they have contact with um, uh, a wild duck or whatever, and then they spread it into your operation. Personnel and feed trucks, airborne transmission can occur. Live bird markets are a potential reservoir for avian influenza viruses. So these are areas, especially in certain cultures, where birds are brought into markets and they might be live, they might be slaughtered there on the premises. The, these are uh, ample areas for transmission of avian influenza viruses. Clinical signs of low path avian influenza, <clears throat> again, low path, 
decreased egg production, soft-shelled or misshapen eggs, ruffled feathers, listlessness, depression, off-feed, coughing, seasoning, lacrimation, that is watery eyes, rails, sounds from breathing heavy. Clinical signs of high path, even influenza. They may show one or more of the fo following. Oftentimes, they're just sudden death with no other signs. Lethargy, they go off feed. Sudden decrease in their egg production. Again, soft-shelled or misshapen eggs. Swelling in the heads or sinuses. Bulging under the eyes, eyelids, combs, waddles, hocks. Petechiation, which means redden. Redden the areas on the feet and shanks. Purple discoloration of waddles, combs, and legs. Coughing, sneezing, nasal discharge, respiratory distress, mouth freezing, incoronation, diarrhea. However, these clinical signs are not unique to avian influenza. There are other diseases that uh, have some of these signs at least, and they include Newcastle disease, infectious laryngotracheitis, infectious bronchitis, turkey rhinotracheitis, swollen head syndrome, mycoplasmosis, falcala, etc. What should you do if you suspect your birds might have avian influenza? Get professional help immediately. Again, I cannot emphasize this enough. Get professional help immediately. Call your service person or your veterinarian. If you do not have a veterinarian, contact your state veterinarian's office. Contact your university extension poultry veterinarian. Again, at UNL, this is myself, Dr. Reynolds. Don't hesitate or put it off. Please, please don't feel embarrassed to call and ask for help. The state federal university veterinarians are there to help you. And no one will blame you, no one will scold you, no one will make fun of you if you're wrong. In fact, everyone will be happy if you're wrong because that means there's no avian influenza. The biggest mistake that you can make is by not contacting someone. What if my birds get avian influenza? Well, in that unlikely rare event that your birds become infected with avian influenza, there are state and federal veterinarians that will guide and direct you through the whole process. Your operation will become quarantined. That is, they'll be isolated uh, from others. The traffic, uh, vehicular and uh, personnel traffic will be very, very limited and stopped. Extensive testing will be done. If the tests are positive, the flock will be depopulated and disposed of on site. The premise will be biosecurely cleaned and disinfected. Some other important points to remember. Avian influenza can infect other animal species, including humans. The strains of avian influenza that infect birds typically do not infect people, but it has occurred and it can occur. So we must be careful. Okay, let's talk a little bit about exotic Newcastle disease, or END. These are some basic facts that you need to know. What causes END? Again, it's a virus disease, similar to avian influenza, but a different type of virus called paramyxovirus, oftentimes referred to as paramyxovirus 1. Virus isolates classified based on their pathogenicity or their ability to cause disease. So in, in Newcastle disease, we have what we call pathotypes, an asymptomatic or subclinical no disease. That would be a, a uh, perhaps a vaccine strain. 
causes no clinical disease. If we have lentigenic strains, and I tend to remember this by remembering lentigenic, meaning least virulent, the, those strains cause very mild signs, typically respiratory signs. Or if we have mesogenic, I remember that by being mesogenic, being moderately virulent. These cause mild disease and with some mortality. Then we have velogenic or very virulent disease. These are severe diseases and cause high mortality. And there are two types, with typically, of these velogenic. One we call viscerotropic. Viscero mean that it attacks the organs within our within the uh, chicken's body, and neurotropic or the neurologic. So we have viscerotropic, velogenic Newcastle disease (VVMD) or neurotropic velogenic Newcastle disease (NVMD). Exotic Newcastle disease (END) refers to those virulent strains that are not endemic, typically present in the United States. So we typically do not have these velogenic strains in the United States. We do have these lenogenic and mesogenic strains. Newcastle disease is a common disease of poultry. All birds are susceptible to Newcastle disease virus. Lenogenic and mesogenic Newcastle disease occur naturally and these strains are common within the United States and other countries as well, and are referred to as endemic strains. We routinely control these endemic strains by vaccinating with Newcastle disease vaccines. Vaccines are typically administered by spray, drinking water, or injection. Vaccines are usually effective against all strains of Newcastle disease, including the velogenic strains. Not always, but typically they're pretty effective. Exotic Newcastle disease, or END viruses, these are the velogenic, or the very, very um, pathogenic strains, and they are not common. They are not endemic to the United States. Vaccines typically protect against these strains, but birds can become infected and it can cause problems. All Newcastle disease viruses can cause disease in people. This is a zoonotic disease. Fortunately, the disease is not very severe or fatal. The disease causes pink eye in people or conjunctivitis. The disease is not fatal or particularly injurious and it is typically self-limiting. The disease causes irritation to the eye and its associated tissues. People, and this is very important, people typically infect themselves by carelessly handling the Newcastle disease vaccines when they prepare. They don't wash their hands, and then they inadvertently rub their face and eyes. They're not wearing the appropriate protective, personal protective equipment. So this is called an iatrogenic infection, but we must remember it is, it is possible to have <clears throat> become infected. Fortunately, uh, you just get a, a case of pink eye. How the virus spreads. It spreads through direct contact with other infected birds. So feces, respiratory excretions, for instance, or watery eyes, or sneezing, nasal discharge, etc. Inhalation from virus from other birds. So again, if a bird sneezes, another bird's there, it can breathe it in. Indirect contact through contaminated feed, water, litter, contaminated equipment, equipment used to move and transport birds, feed and service vehicles, and people and animals.
most likely sources of infection, so the most likely risk factors. The primary sources are people, employees associated with poultry and birds. So people that go to um, poultry shows and there might be infected birds and they bring it back to their operation. When I say game birds here, I mean the fighting birds. It's more, more apt to be in fighting birds than into the, the wild pheasants or quail or those types of things. Backyard flocks, pet birds, proximity to infected neighborhoods, illegally imported birds, so game birds, parrots, etc. Oftentimes, these birds are not vaccinated and are susceptible to Newcastle disease. Secondary sources are shared equipment, things like egg racks and flats, vehicles, feed trucks, service trucks, etc. Clinical signs may show one or more of the following, decreased egg production, misshapen eggs, ruffled feathers, listlessness, depression, diarrhea, off feed, swollen head and eyes, coughing, sneezing, lacrimation, that is watery eyes, rails, tremors, paralysis, twisting of the head, again, this stargazing or torticollis, sudden onset of high mortality. A lot of these signs are similar or the same as we see with avian influenza, so that must be considered. Infectious laryngotracheitis, bronchitis, turkey rhinotracheitis, swollen head, etc. What should you do if you suspect exotic Newcastle disease? Again, it's the same as if you suspect avian influenza. Get professional help immediately. Don't delay. Call your service person. Call your veterinarian. If you do not have a veterinarian, contact your state veterinarian's office or contact your university extension poultry veterinarian. Again, at UNL, it's myself, Dr. Reynolds. Don't hesitate or put it off. Don't feel embarrassed. That's what we're there for, to help you. And if you're wrong, that's a good thing. We're all happy about that. What if my birds get exotic Newcastle disease? Okay, in that, again, unlikely rare event that your birds would become infected with exotic Newcastle disease, similar to avian influenza. There are state and federal veterinarians that will guide and direct you through this process. Your operation will become quarantined. There'll be extensive testing done. If it's positive, the flock will be depopulated and disposed of on site. The premise will be thoroughly cleaned and disinfected. <clears throat> Thank you very much. That's the end of module six.